0: Each one of these writers, as they wrote by inspiration of God, intended for us to look at their book and to learn truth from it. And it has been challenging to me because as I've preached through this book, I have actually had to, in some instances, force myself not to look at the other Gospels and to just say, what did God want us to learn as he penned this through Mark? to look at all the Gospels because God gave them all by inspiration. It's not wrong for us to see all the truth we can learn about maybe one story. But if we only do that, we are doing a disservice to what God gave us in this one book. So today, and as we've been doing all along, we're covering a lot of subjects. And quite honestly, that's what makes it hard as a preacher to preach on. But it's good because I hit on something that you can't leave here without learning something. You know? The truth is... You can't come to the book of Mark and look at it as he intended us to look at it without saying, Wow, there's something for my life today. So we're going to learn about biblical illiteracy. But we're also going to learn about two or three other things that Jesus teaches here through his life and through his example that Mark wanted us to see. But he didn't want us to dig into each one and say, Okay, what was this truth here and what can we pull out of this and what can we glean?" He was giving us this picture of Jesus as the servant, as he lived life, and as he taught us what we needed to know. So this morning, I have five points for you, and they're really rather simple and straightforward, a five-point outline. Three in the middle are based on the context that we'll see. The beginning and end are based on the whole, which is what we've been trying to give you a picture of each and every week, as we have told you about the purpose for the book being written. So we begin, first of all, in the first point, when Jesus travels on a mission of Revelation. Starting in Mark chapter 11, and this has also been really interesting to me, and so if it's not to you, I'm sorry, just don't fall asleep during this point, all right? But it's been real interesting to me to see that Mark chapter 11 kind of begins a a change in the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, some people and some companies would say Jesus was rebranding himself. Now, that is not a good description, but that's the term that they would use today, that Jesus was rebranding himself, starting in Mark chapter 11. And here's what I mean by that. Throughout the early ministry of Jesus Christ, as he was walking on this earth and he had his teaching, preaching ministry, which was, by the way, for about three years, at least as best as we know, as Jesus did that, Jesus had a ministry of preaching and teaching and doing miracles and other things, proving he truly was the Son of God. But starting in Mark chapter 11, Jesus presents himself, now that he has come back to Jerusalem, Jesus presents himself now as the king. And it starts with the triumphal entry. And it is intriguing that if you read through from here to the end of the book, to the end of the gospel, how Jesus has this ministry of revealing himself to be the king. And it's very important that that is done. You say, why is it important that that is done? Because what is happening here is Jesus is drawing a line in the sand, if you would. So his triumphal entry, his cursing of the fig tree, his casting out of the money changers, all the things that we saw already in Mark chapter 11, these things all were statements by Jesus Christ saying, I am the king. And when they said, well, where is your authority to do these things? Jesus didn't answer them. And the reason he didn't answer them is because a king doesn't answer his subjects. A king doesn't say to, to someone, that, some, some little guy that comes and says, well, what's your authority for giving this law, like, you know, this rule or whatever. The king doesn't say, well, let me tell you the reasons because, because I just want you to understand that I have authority. No, Jesus carries on a kingly ministry. It wasn't only important because Jesus needed to establish who he truly is, but it did draw this line in the sand <coughs> where people were either going to be for him or against him. And it was that important. Yes. Say, why was it important? Because Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world. And if he was going to die for the sins of the world, the people had to have a reason to get rid of him. And let me tell you, there's nothing that's going to do more to religious people than someone saying, I am God. And drawing the land of the sand and saying, you're either going to believe on God or you're not going to believe on God. You're going to either believe I'm the king or you're not going to believe that I'm the king. And that, starting in Mark 11, is what's been going on. And it's going to continue here in this chapter because chapter 12 is not a new segment of Jesus' life. It's a continuation of what's been going on. He has just finished saying this. I'm a king and i and he didn't say it that way, but I'm not going to tell you whose authority I am doing this by. <laughs> and and in essence, there's a reason why he didn't do it. Because if he told them whose authority he was preaching by, they wouldn't accept it anyway because they didn't accept John the Baptist. That was The exact reason why he shared the things he did at the end of the last chapter. So he's on this mission of revelation, showing himself as the king. In fact, we can prove that mission of revelation. We already went through these things, but we have the, if you want alliteration, coronation as the king of Israel and the triumphant tree. The cursing of the fig tree. We have the cleansing or casting out of the money changers. In this chapter, we have the chastisement of the religious leaders, the confounding of his challengers, and the correction of faulty doctrine. And all these things say, I'm a king. I have authority. And you need to listen to what I have to say. I have a message from God. And you are either going to accept me or you're going to reject me. The religious leaders rejected him. That's why he ended up on the cross in just about a week's time. His followers, though, continue on. So we have for us, laid out before us, Jesus traveling on a mission of revelation. And it continues here in chapter 12. Do you see that? Don't miss it. It really starts in chapter 11. It goes through the end of this book. Jesus is the King. Now, in chapter 12, here I said the second point gets us into the context itself, the story, what happens. And Jesus tells a story of rejection in verses 1 to 12. Now, again, what takes place in this chapter is a continuation. And he began to speak unto them by parables. So Jesus isn't like, okay, we had this happen, everything's done. That's what we do when we get to chapters in the book, you know. We don't don't realize that these things sometimes are just like, okay, this is the next step. So Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you what authority I speak these things. And they started to tell a parable. And the parable blasted these men. It really did. It was bad. In fact, they knew that. You see at the end of that, that section, I think it's verse 12 or whatever it is toward the end of it, I mean, they were mad, and what did they want to do? Because he, in essence, was saying, I'm a king, and let me tell you that, that what you're doing is wrong. He says, uh, they, they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, and they left and went their way. They, like, like dogs with their tail between their legs, you know? They just go off like, okay, he's embarrassed us enough, but they were mad mad. okay, that's in, that's in my vernacular, and I don't see that necessarily in the scripture. It's true, they were angry, so angry that they sent some people to, to mess them up. But let's talk about this story of rejection. What was the message? Jesus, the master of the parable, speaks and tells a story. And a, story, a parable is, as you know, an earthly story of circumstances that had hidden spiritual lessons or meanings. Now, Jesus spoke in parables for a reason. He spoke in parables because he didn't want people who weren't interested in truth to learn truth. And because he wanted those who were genuinely interested and who would take time to think things through to know Bible truth. So a parable was the best means by which Jesus could present great, powerful, important truths people needed to know for life. But only those who were interested in truly knowing the truth would be able to figure it out and, and, and come to an understanding. That's why, by the way, when his disciples would meet with him many times, they'd say, what did that one mean? <laughs> Jesus would take time to teach his disciples. He wanted them to know the truth. Jesus never wanted to hide truth from people, but he didn't want people who didn't, weren't interested in truth to know it. And that's the way these leaders were. So Jesus uses this parable, (laughs) and in essence, really, you can't do it any more forcefully. He basically told these men that they're rotten. He does. As he tells this story, I'll get it out. I will spit it out, all right? The story is rather simple. A man has a piece of property. He plants a vineyard, and everything needed to prosper is put into this, this vineyard, It's beautiful, and he's going to travel away. So when he travels away, he doesn't want it to go to to waste. And he wants to receive something from it, so he gets some farmers, husbandmen, men men, who have the job and responsibility of taking care of this vineyard. And uh, the idea would be, I mean, this is why you would do it. He's kind of renting it out, if you will. All right. So every once in a while, at the proper season, he would send someone to get some of the fruits and bring them back because, hey, listen, he's the owner. And the owner should get something for the uh, for the fact that he owns this property, and so that is the story. Now, That is simple enough; you can understand that any human being could come understand that one, right? So he's basically renting out this this property, and he sends people with uh, uh, with servants to come and to receive some of the uh, the fruit from this vineyard. He sends a servant. And what happens? Well, if you look at it, it says in verse 3, they caught him, they beat him, and sent him away empty. I got to tell you something. I don't think I want to be a servant of this landowner. Uh, Okay, the first one wouldn't know. But I mean, you know, then it says, look in verse 4, and again, he sent unto them another servant. And they threw stones at him. Now, you got to imagine, if these people are all coming back with the same story, what the next servant is going to be thinking when he goes. And by the way, if you understand the parable and what Jesus is talking about, uh, many of the prophets did know what was coming because he was talking about the prophets who came with messages from God, but that's for later on. So that's the message, and that's what's going on. And that's the story takes place. And it gets worse. He sent another in verse 5, and they killed him. Wow, okay. And then notice this in verse 5, many others. So here, here's the idea. I, seriously, if you were one of his servants, you probably would go saying, Okay, what's gonna to happen to me? Some got beat, some got killed. Which one am I gonna be? I mean, this is the way, this is the way it was. And happened over and over. In the story, though, he has one son. A son he deeply loves. And his thought is I'm gonna send my son. I mean, they'll have respect for my son. They've got to have respect for my son. I know they haven't had respect for servants. Okay, maybe they're just that way, but they've got to have respect for. When the sun arrives, these farmers say, if we kill him, we get the property. It's ours. We don't have to give to anyone. We don't have to be responsible to anyone anymore. And they kill him. And the, the idea is they treat him cruelly. They just cast this dead corpse outside of the vineyard. Don't inform anyone. Don't send any message back. There's no respect shown for this son. No respect at all. Just kill him. Cast him out of the vineyard. And the, the picture in there is really vivid. It's, it's, it's a, a, a gross, I mean, okay, it's bad enough that they kill him, but it's just a gross disregard for life and respect at all for the one who owns his property. When they kill his only son <coughs> and they just throw him out of the vineyard like he's a piece of trash. That is the message. That's what takes place. And then there's a couple verses at the end. And Jesus adds just a, an interesting statement. He talks about verses found in Psalm 18, 22, and 23 about a stone that was rejected becoming the most important stone in a building. So that's the message. So what's the meaning? These parables, again, had a, a spiritual meaning. What was the story? Well, the one who owned the property is God the Father. There's no question about it this intent was to teach a spiritual lesson. God the Father has a vineyard. He, out of his own choosing from the very beginning, chose the nation of Israel, made them a nation. He cared for them, met their needs in so many different ways, gave them so many different things. And they had a God-given responsibility to him as farmers, if you would, to take care of the vineyard that God had given to them and to be responsible with it and to care for it and do the things they were supposed to do and, if you would, to bring forth the fruit unto him the owner of the property who has the rights to that which is comes forth as fruit of this land. Now, that was what the father deserved. But the father sent his servants. And those servants are representative of the prophets. You can read about them in the Old Testament. The prophets came and, and many of the prophets they killed uh, many of the prophets, they, they did terrible things too as men who were speaking for God and as men who were coming saying, you need to live for God, you need to do right, you need to walk with God. They, they were like these like these people saying, no, I don't want to have anything to do with what the Father has to say. I'm going to live my own way, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to go, go my own way and I'm not going to be responsible to the owner of the vineyard. And so, are, are you starting to see this picture? And so Father says, I have a son, an only son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. My friends, that's the parable He's teaching here. That's the story. Jesus is the Son. And this actually is a prophecy, it hasn't yet taken place. It's going to take place. And they take Jesus outside of the city and they crucify him treat him like trash. And that is pictured in this story. The son is taken, cruelly killed, undeserving of anything like that. He was just the son of the the father. The beloved son. Totally, cruelly treated, cast out of of the place. And so that was the message that Jesus was trying to get across. And you know who was at the head of this? The spiritual leaders. And it's no wonder the spiritual leaders knew They were talking about me. I had no idea what they were saying, but they were talking about me. And that was very true. That was the message. That was the meaning. What was the spiritual meaning? It's that these people had rejected. And you know what God was going to do? In verse 9, he says, what is the Lord of the vineyard going to do? He's going to destroy the husband. And he's going to give the vineyard out to others. Do you know how how he was going to do that? Through the son, verses 10 and 11 would become the head of the quarter, would become the head of the church, and salvation, and the work of God was going to be done now through the church, and no longer through the nation of Israel. And that happened, my friends. It was it, it, it an a, a, a earthly story with truly a spiritual meaning and a spiritual message. And Jesus preached that, that message that they needed to hear. And Jesus taught them then a very important lesson about, and a story about rejection. Now, uh, what was the addition about? Jesus add that little point about the son. And again, Jesus, the one who they rejected, the one that they cast out, he becomes the stone upon which everything is built, the church is built. So he is the head of the church, the savior of the body. And he is the one, this one that was cast out, this one that was cruelly killed. This one has become the one that everyone will answer to. And God has passed judgment upon uh the upon the, the jewish world he has and he's opened salvation up to us do you know that we're found in verses 1 to 12 here that's right we're the others we are the others those who are part of the church today are the others that he talked about that would take care of the vineyard and there's a lesson we'll get to that in a little bit number three jesus teaches a lesson in responsibility. In verses 13 to 17, you say, man, this is a total change. Not really. You see, these men left, and they were angry about the fact Jesus just said, you are, you're rotten people, and you're going to kill my beloved son. They were angry about the fact that, that, uh, that they were represented there, and although they didn't understand everything about it, they knew Jesus, they needed to get rid of this guy. And by the way, that was part of what was going to fulfill this story that Jesus ended up telling and so they send some people to trip him up in his words. Because look, if they can make him look bad, then they can, he'll lose his influence. He'll lose his, his ministry among people. And so they do that by talking about taxes. You don't talk with people about religion. You don't talk about politics. Isn't that what you've been taught all your life? So what do they do when they come to? Get this. In the rest of this passage that we read today, they talked with him about religion and politics. <coughs> because they knew that's how you create controversy so get this that's been controversial for a couple thousand years now all right can't talk about religion can't talk about politics and that's exactly what happens and the first is this matter of politics they talk about paying taxes jews hated the Roman government they were looking for a messiah that would come and set up a new kingdom in fact that's what his own disciples were looking for lord when are you going to set up the kingdom we're ready You know, come on in tomorrow. Let's get rid of this Roman government. They hated the Roman government. So if Jesus would say, pay taxes, do you know what these Pharisees and religious leaders were going to do? They were going to trumpet that all over. Jesus said you need to pay taxes. Jesus said he likes the Roman government. Well, what do you think that's going to do to his ministry? What do you think that's going to do to his ministry? I mean, hey, if someone gets up and says, we need to love the government, we're under. We won't get off on that side. That's more. I just did, didn't I? Shouldn't have done that. All right, because you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics. All right. So here's the story. Pay taxes. Or should you do that? And that was the attack that was placed on Jesus, and Jesus teaches a lesson of responsibility. Now, they ask a question that's going to embarrass the Lord Jesus Christ. Either it's going to be something they use against him with the Jews, or they're going to run to the Roman government and say – this guy, Jesus, is telling folks they don't need, he, you don't need to pay taxes. Now, that's going to put them in trouble with the Roman government, which is what they wanted anyway. One way or another, Jesus was going to be hung on this one. Do you understand that? Have you ever been asked a question you couldn't give a right answer? If you gave a right answer to it, you were going to be in trouble either way. I've had questions like that place, at queries uh, placed that maybe before, where, you know, if I answer it this way, I'm in trouble. If I answer it this way, I'm in trouble. And here's what's great. There was no right answer, and Jesus gave a right answer. Don't you love that? Man, I'll tell you what. I just—I marvel every time I read through the scripture and I see how Jesus so wisely handled every situation so that, look, the Roman government couldn't, uh, couldn't attack him and Jews couldn't be upset with him by his answer. And there is only one answer you could possibly get. And it was Jesus' answer. So here he is. He's questioned by his people, and he says, first of all, you, bunch, you folks are a bunch of hypocrites. Why are you tempting me? It was true. They were. They acted like they really cared about Jesus and that he taught the right things and they just wanted to know the truth. And they were lying. They were lying through their teeth. They didn't care about Jesus. They wanted food to make him look bad. They wanted something that they could take and they could uh, you know, spread around and make this man look bad and lose his influence. And so Jesus you know, basically called him on. And then Jesus says, let me see. Give me a coin. Someone give me a coin. Anyone got a coin? Anyone got a dollar bill? Anyone got a 20 this morning? <laughs> okay. You're telling me I'm not Jesus. You're not going to give me an opportunity. <laughs> if you have a 50, though, I'd be glad to take it out. But Jesus says, give me a coin. And he takes it. He says, there, there's stuff written on this. And what is the right? No, it's picture Caesar this just masterful okay. gentlemen render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's render to God the things that are God's we have both responsibilities in life so this question that couldn't be answered right was answered right so that no one could hang Jesus These men were so amazed. It was just like, I don't know what I could ask them anymore. And then a second group comes, and they come asking about religion. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were like at odds with one another. You know, in the Book of Acts, they got into fights with one another so much so that that, that Paul used it at one point. Okay, okay, that's that's another story for another time. But it is an interesting thing how these two hated one another, but they were they were. Good buddies when it came to dealing with Jesus because they had a common enemy. And so they come to Jesus and they ask a the question. And man, they got the greatest, they have the, the, the greatest question to ask that would always silence the Pharisees. I mean, how do you answer this one? So they tell this story. And Jesus teaches uh, in, this, in this passage, or Jesus tenders, I'm sorry, the truth about the resurrection. In verses 18 to 27, we have this story. We have the deceived religious workers. These Sadducees take their best shot at Jesus by trying to promote their false ideas about the Bible. If they could get him to take the position that they stand on, then they would make Jesus look bad before the Pharisees, and they would turn him... I mean, look, this was, again, the same idea. We just want to get Jesus in trouble, no matter what we do. And if he refuses to answer our question... And if he refuses to deal with this question, then Sadducees are going to hate him. One way or the other, we're going to make Jesus look bad. And guess what? Jesus came out looking great again. It's just a wonderful story. Jesus tenders the truth about the resurrection. There's deceived religious workers who say, there's no resurrection. And they tell the story by a woman who had seven men, but no child by any of them. And then they ask the question, whose wife would she be in the resurrection? By the way, the false cult of Mormonism, as was mentioned this morning, teaches erroneously men will have multiple spirit wives in the future kingdom. Jesus said in this passage, men and women won't, have, won't know the marriage bonds like they knew in this earth and in this life. Who's right, Joseph Smith or Jesus Christ? And here's the truth. It's amazing to me that millions of people follow Joseph Smith who lied because Jesus said something totally different. They're not given and taken in marriage. You're not going to have multiple wives uh, following this crazy uh, polygamy stuff that the Mormonism church teaches. And anyone with a right mind, even though they have so many other doctrines that are totally false and, and wicked, and anyone in the right mind could say, Jesus taught something different, you're false. Just from this one, one passage of scripture. Well, that was free. But Jesus took the time here to deal with this situation, and he declared the truth. Now, our Lord dealt with questions previous to like the previous one with great tact, and he shared truth without giving uh, away any, any room for people to misconstrue his words and use it in a wrong way. In the last group, he called them a bunch of hypocrites. You know he didn't say that to the Sadducees? You know what he said? You don't know the Bible. Because you don't know the Bible, you're messed up in this. So let me tell you the truth. And he answered the question. First of all, there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. And in essence, in answer, he didn't say it that way, but in in answering this question, he did. There is a resurrection. They won't be given and taken in marriage, and Jesus is the only one who could speak about that because Jesus knows everything. So he deals with the false doctrine they held, and he reveals truth according to the Scripture. Notice, he's, notice what he said in verse 24. Do ye not therefore err, because ye know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. They had two problems. Okay? So Jesus shared truth with them. He wasn't going to allow their false doctrine to be promoted and put forth as truth. And by the way, we have a problem with that in Christianity. This is another, you know, another sideline we could go down this morning. But we have people today that aren't willing to stand up and say, this is doctrinal error, people. It's wrong. And there are a lot of doctrinal errors out there. It's not just the Mormon church. Although that is one that is in serious error. And they don't have the plan of salvation, nor do the Jehovah's Witnesses. And people need to be willing to say that. And Jesus was willing to stand up and say, listen, people, your view is wrong because you don't know the Bible. So let me tell you what the Bible says. And that is how Jesus dealt with this. He said they were in error. And if you notice, look at the end verse. It says in verse uh, 27, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Ye therefore do greatly err. You are messed up. You are in great error. Wow. You wouldn't expect to hear that from many people anymore today in preaching. And yet Jesus was willing to say that. You say, how could they be wrong? Two things Jesus mentioned about the error. First, they didn't know the Bible. And secondly, they didn't know the power of God. If they knew their Bible and if they knew the power of God, they wouldn't have made the statement and they wouldn't have asked that question in the first place. And that was Jesus' answer. It was really, really masterful. All right. So, Pastor, great. You explained the verses to me. Wonderful. What do they mean to me? I am glad you asked that. That's the fifth point. Scriptural truth eliciting a response. But, so Jesus did these things. What should I do about that, and what should it mean to me today? I mean, look, Pastor, you told me a few interesting things. Now am I supposed to go on my way because now I understand Mark chapter 12 a little bit better. You say, you didn't explain anything because I already could read that, and I understood those things anyway. Well, there's a reason why we took time to explain it, because you've got to understand the Scripture if you're going to be helped. But there are some things that God would demand from us and God would want us to think about from these very verses that we have just studied. The first response, if you would, to this whole passage and to the whole message of the book of Mark is accept Jesus as Savior. That's right. That's the message. He is the king. He's the king of kings. He is the masterful Lord of all. His answers were always right. His life was pure and clean. And yet he was like verses 9, 10, and 11 in this chapter we talk about. He was killed and cast out. And he is the head of the corner, and he is the one upon which the church is founded. And the Bible says Jesus gave these very words himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And in this first message in chapter 12, he's saying, I am the Savior. I am the only one that can save. There is no other way. If someone tells you you follow Allah, they are wrong. Allah is not the God of the Bible. He is not the God the Father, nor is he God the Son. Allah is not one, so that religion is wrong. Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe Jesus is the king, that he is the God, the God of heaven and earth, that he is exactly who he proclaimed to be, the head of the corner. And my friends, they are wrong as well, and their religion is false. And you need to come to the place where you realize who Jesus is, the king of kings and lord of lords. Understand what he has done. He was killed. And he died on the cross and was buried and rose again that you might have eternal life. And he offers salvation as a free gift. And he says, if you'll accept me, I'll give you life. It's not become part of a church. It's not become get baptized. It's not do good works. It is trusting in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. He is the Savior, the only Savior, the only way. And that, my friends, is the message. Of Mark chapter 12, it's the message of Mark chapter 11, chapter 10, chapter 9, chapter 8, chapter 7, and all the way through chapter 16. It's the message of that gospel. It's the message of all four gospels. It's the message of the entire entire Bible. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. He is the one upon whom you need to put your faith and trust. And if you haven't been saved, today is the day to be saved. Don't put that decision off. Receive him. But that's not the only message we can get from Mark chapter 12. This message to those who are part of the family of God, because yes, there is a, there are some powerful message to those who are part of the family of God. Is this, be faithful in God's vineyard. Mm-hmm. Look, think about that story. Okay, in Mark chapter twelve, Jesus condemned the the religious leaders. Jesus condemned the Jews because they had not been faithful to God. Mm-hmm. And God said, "Enough is enough." There comes a time when. I have given you a vineyard. I have blessed you in so many ways, and you have said enough. No, I'm not going to listen to you, God. No, I'm not going to do what you told me to do. No, I'm not going to follow you. No, I am not going to obey you. No, I am not going to do what I should do. And there comes a time when the Father said to the Jewish nation, I'm done with you. And the truth is, Mark 12 talks about us. Because God gave the vineyard to others. He gave the vineyard to the Gentile world. Can Jews be saved? Yes, but the same way Gentiles are. Salvation was opened up to the Gentiles because the Jews rejected the message. That's the story of Mark chapter 12. So then, the message to you and I today is, how oh, faithful are we in the If God would cast out the Jewish nation and say, I'm not going to deal with you any longer. I'm going to open salvation in another way through Jesus Christ, and I'm going to found the church That's Mark 12. Then what do you think he's going to do if we're not faithful with the vineyard? Come on, let's think this through. Shouldn't we understand how important it is for those who are part of God's church to live a godly life and be faithful to the Father? My friends, that is certainly a challenge we can get from Mark chapter 12. If you haven't received him, you need to receive him, become part of his family, become part of the church. If you have, you're part of the church. Then the question is, how well are you keeping God's vineyard? Have you been faithful with it? If God were to assess your life and what you've been doing with your Christianity, would he be pleased or not? I know that's searching. But you need to ask that from this passage. And if you'd say, well... Really, if I'm honest, you know, I haven't been faithful to my Lord like I should. And understand this. God judged an Israelite nation who rejected him. And we ought to take very seriously the importance of living right. But Don't trash God's vineyard. Can I give you that as a challenge today? Don't trash God's vineyard. Take care of it be faithful to him. The, the third truth you can take from this. Verses 13 to 17 is a passage that I have preached numerous times and I bring out often when we have patriotic days. And how many preachers don't? Rather unto Caesar are the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Hey, as much as you don't like it, when April rolls around, you got a responsibility before God. You know, pay passes. What, you don't like it? I understand. I'm with you on this, okay? There's a responsibility we have to govern. It. But let me ask you something. I, I have, I don't think, ever preached this passage preaching exactly what Jesus taught about here. Jesus taught that, didn't he? Render seeds Caesar, things that are Caesar. But he also taught something else. Can you tell me what it is? That's right. You've been rendering unto God the things that are God's? Honestly, I have never heard that passage preached that anyone ever challenged people to do that. Isn't that sad? Because Jesus taught two things here. He said, yes, you have a God-given responsibility to the government. Read about it in Romans chapter 13 if you have some questions. You also have a responsibility to God. And if you forsake that, you are also forsaking him. You render to both their due. Here's responsibility you yeah, have, to government, to give, to, to pray for. And there's a number of things in the Bible that God tells you to do in regard to government. Are you doing those things? There's a number of things the Bible teaches you to do in regard to God. Here's the question. You've been rendering to God the things that are God's? Are you a giver? Do you pray on a regular basis? Sharing the gospel. you care about gospel? We could go through a list of things we find in Scripture, and God says these are our responsibilities before a holy God. And God went ask asked the question from this text this morning: Are you rendering unto God the things that are God's? Most of us, I hope, I don't think there's any tax evaders here. And don't raise your hand if you are, because I. to this passage and we look at it and we can say, wow, that was interesting truth, or we can say maybe I need something for my life today. When we come to this last story, this last passage, this last portion, (coughs) the statement I would make is this, we need to live a Bible-centered life. There are so many people in our world, I'm telling you there are so many religions in our world that are messed up believing things and practicing things that aren't taught in the Bible. The crazy modern day tongues movement is is not consistent with Bible truth. And there are so many different religious groups today who are practicing things and promoting things and teaching things that are not found in the Bible. And here's the truth. Like we said at at the beginning, and the studies have shown, sadly, even Christians don't know truth anymore. You need to be a Christian who knows your Bible, who knows what the Bible says about things. And when you come to, and when someone challenges you, maybe from another church, about well, we, you know, the Bible teaches this, or, or don't you believe in, in this, or why don't you practice this in your church? You can say the, the issue isn't uh, what we're spo- the issue is what God has said in His Word, and you need to have Bible answers because the Bible answers those questions. The Bible answers questions about the tongues matter. The Bible answers questions about Mormonism and whether it's right and whether Jehovah's Witnesses are right. And, and it even answers questions about whether uh, churches like the Catholic Church are right and consistent with their teaching about Mary and their various ideas and teaching that salvation is in the church. The Bible is clear, but here's the sad fact. Most people just don't know it. Do you? You know the Bible? Can you defend your faith? Do you know what you believe in? Do you know what the Bible really teaches? These people thought there was no resurrection. No wonder they were sad, you see. You know, I've always heard that. And they had to be sad because they had no hope. Because they didn't know the Bible. And my friends, you and I need the Bible. So, do you know Jesus is the son of God, savior of the world? Have you trusted him as savior? Are you part of his family? Have you been faithful as husbandmen in God's vineyard? Are you giving God his due? Are you an obedient believer? Are, you, are your belief centered not in your opinions, but in the truth of scripture? Because you know the Bible and you're studying the Bible and finding answers. These truths, my friend, can be gleaned from the stories Jesus told and the life Jesus lived in Mark chapter 12. And they're searching.